welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m., worship at 9.30 a.m., or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. All right. Good morning. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 56. Before we get into the passage, I just wanted to make a a quick comment. Um, So the video you just saw, I work with all those crazy people um, at Off the Wall. Um, We do fundraisers to raise support for um, ministry expenses. They don't go to personal, individual um, support raising, they go to they, they would be like a business expense. So if we have traveling uh, and stuff like that, or if we need to buy a printer or something like that, that's what um, this raining golf ball and, and other things that we do fundraisers for, that's what that um, raised money goes towards, and we'll be handing those out at the end. Psalm 56 is where we will be camping this morning. Um, and I, I, This is one of my favorite psalms. Um, I kind of want to get a running start and see what's kind of going on. We know that David is the author and is the one that actually penned this psalm. So, so what was going on in David's life leading up to writing Psalms 56? Well, we know that Saul was actually king, still on the throne um, during this time, and David is the anointed king. He's the one that's next in line. He's not king yet. Um, he's still actually pretty young. But, but Saul is the one on the throne. He is the one that's, that is king. And at this point in time, uh, leading up to it, things were good between Saul and David. Um, but we'll talk about how things kind of went really south really quickly. David was actually the one um, that Saul would call on when, when Saul was frustrated and angry or not having a good day. They would summon David to come and to play music for him. David was a skilled musician, and he was the one that the king would call on to kind of serenade him. So things were good between them. We also know that things were good between Saul and David because David slew Goliath. Um, the Philistines had come up against Israel. They, they had their champion Goliath challenging Israel to send out their champion, and everybody was quaking in their boots. And what do we see? We see this, this young teenage boy by the name of David, who was just a shepherd, who was just equipped with a sling and a stone, take down this massive giant. And what did Saul do after David slew Goliath? He, he showered him with, with gifts. He, he, he praised David. He even went as far as to giving one of his own daughters as a wife to David for, for what he had done for Saul and for the kingdom. So things, things were good between Saul and David leading up until we get to the writing of Psalm 56. Uh, We know that uh, David was actually also a a general in Saul's army, and and when he would come back from conquest, Saul started hearing the people as they praised David, as they would talk about David, and and, and jealousy and and hardness of heart would come upon him. As, As David would come back from a successful campaign, he would hear the people say, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And as a result of this jealousy creeping up into Saul's life, 
Saul went as far as to wanting to kill David. So, so leading up to Psalms 56, David is fleeing for his life. And I want to, I think we're going to put it on the screen here, uh, and we glance over this when we read the Psalms a lot, but the superscription, um, the title to this, this, this Psalm of David, it says, To the choir master, according to the dove on far off terebinths, a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So what the word miktam means, it's, it's, it's thought to be kind of like a musical term. If you translate it, it literally means golden or precious. So this is, this is a golden psalm of David. There's only other, there's six other, or there's six total psalms where David uses this term, this golden psalm. And David here is pictured as a, as a dove on far off terebinths, which a terebinth is, is a type of tree. So basically, David has flown the coop. He has to leave his home, and he's fleeing for his life. And where does he find himself? He's fleeing, he's running from Saul, and, and now, on top of that, he's been seized in Gath. He has been seized by the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. So it seems wherever David turns, he's just surrounded by turmoil, by crazy circumstances where he's just alone. And it's really cool why I love this psalms and psalms like it. Um, this psalm is directly tied to a story that we can actually look at in Scripture. So we can see the surrounding situation and then read how David responds to his situation. So we're going to put on the screen 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you want to follow along with me, 1 Samuel 21, I'm going to start reading in verse 10. And this is the situation David finds himself in as he's writing Psalms 56. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of his dance, in, in his dances, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took the words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the door of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So we see where David's at and kind of put yourself in his shoes. He's being pursued by his own people, by his own king to, to take his life purely out of jealousy and a hardness of heart. And as he's kind of fleeing, I mean, he's all alone. He doesn't have anybody with him. As he's fleeing, he has to take refuge with the enemies of Israel, with Saul's enemies. That's the only place he can find rest, that he can find comfort. And scholars here say that David had this idea of becoming this anonymous mercenary for the Philistines, to take refuge with the enemies of Saul and kind of have a job and have something to do. And we see in 1 Samuel, as he's doing that, the men of, Philist of, of Philistine, Achish's men, realize, isn't, isn't this David? 
Isn't this the David that slew thousands of our people, that, that killed our, our, our champion Goliath? And the interesting part is Goliath was from Gath. This was Goliath's hometown that David is in. And, and David is the one that, that slew Goliath. So you can kind of put yourself in, in this situation. And we look at David's response and we say, you know, what are you doing? Like, he's acting insane. He's like the definition of what you would see a zombie on television. He's got like spit and like coming down his beard. And he's, he's clawing at the door and probably moaning and growing, groaning in order to get some sort of like, like grace through pity. But he's at the end of his ropes. And that's where we, we come when we read Psalms 56. David is writing his response and his view. And that's why I love this psalm because you get, we have substance, we have the story, we have everything surrounding David. And then we get to actually jump into his mind. We get to, to see how he reacted, to, to get a glimpse into how he responded to God. And we can learn a lot from it this morning. But we've all been through hard times. And we're all going to go through even more hard times. It's something that's unavoidable in this this sin-cursed world that we live in today. So let's go ahead, knowing all that we know, knowing everything that I just talked about, let's go ahead and jump into Psalms 56 and see this godly man, this man after God's own heart, his response as he maneuvers through this crazy situation that he found himself in. Let's, let's start in verse 1. And my first point today is faith amidst fear. And if you can kind of imagine, this is, this is David's plea from his cell block. He is captured by the Philistines, and he says, be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. Why? For man tramples on me all day long, and, and attackers oppress me. My enemies trample on me all day long. He repeats. This idea of trampling. When I think of trampling, I think of how they, they used to make juice and wine back in the day. They used to they gather up all the grapes and put it in this big vat. And it's, it's kind of nasty, but people took their shoes and, or sandals or whatever they wore back then, and they would just jump into the vat and just start trampling these grapes and squashing these grapes and, and trying to get all the juice that they could out of out of these grapes in order to have their wine. And David here is pictured as being trampled. The life is being pushed out of him. He, he, he can't figure out what to do. He doesn't know what to do. And he's crying out to God. There are days that we all feel trampled, either mentally, spiritually, physically. We all go through these times but what, what is your response? What, is your, what do you do in those situations when you feel squeezed? Do you trust in God? Do you turn to God? Or do you try to figure out how to get out of it all by yourself and God's kind of like that last resort that you turn to? So let's continue reading verse 3. Let's see how David funneled his fear. Verse 3 says, When I am afraid... I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? 
This is coming from the man that stood before a lion, before a bear, before a giant, as a boy who, who went on many military campaigns. And he's admitting that he is afraid, that he has fear, that he is human. He boldly proclaims his trust in God despite his fear, though. Spurgeon says this, he, referring to David, he feared, but that fear did not fill the whole area of his mind. For he adds, I will trust in thee. It's possible then for fear and faith to occupy the, ma- the mind at the same moment. You know, fear is a healthy thing. Fear is, is a defense mechanism that's built into us in order to protect us. I mean, if we, were, if we all went to the zoo right now, I doubt anybody would jump into the polar bear cage. Why? Because we're afraid of what that polar bear could do to us, right? It's a healthy fear. It's a respect towards that animal. If anybody were to jump in, you'd think that person's crazy, right? So fear is a healthy thing. But when our trust in God is eclipsed by our fear, that's when we run into issues. That's when we have problems. We don't have the budget in the church to do this, but I really wanted to get a helicopter and be in the helicopter and do this illustration for you, but I guess I can just describe it for you. But imagine me a thousand feet up in the air in a helicopter. I got a bungee cord wrapped around my legs, and the other end is hopefully wrapped around the helicopter somewhere safe. I would be terrified at a thousand feet. I, I like, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I, I like doing crazy things safely, but I would have fear in that helicopter, right? I would be afraid. But at the end of the day, I'm going to jump out of that helicopter. And my faith in that bungee cord is going to be greater than my fear of, of jumping, my fear of going splat. I have, fear, I have faith in that bungee cord saving me, right? Our faith in God or our fear in our life needs to be accompanied with an even greater faith in God. And when we find ourselves at that point, we have what Paul describes as peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's where we find David here in this story. I mean, he, he's, he's doing all this crazy stuff, but at the end of the day, as we read through the Psalms, he has peace in God that surpasses all understanding. So when I was a kid, um, we're talking really young, I, I was not into stuffed animals. I didn't sleep with the stuffed animals. Stuffed animals were just like objects to throw at people. I took security and I had comfort in my blankie, right? And it's funny because our, our boy Steven, he's the same way. He, you give him, we put like stuffed animals in his crib and we line them up and it's all cutesy and he gets in there, he's like, ah, and he's like throwing them out of his crib. But his blankie, oh man, he's not, he's not letting go of his blankie. And as soon as he gets in his crib, he's just like, he hugs it, he bites it, he, he, he just clings to it. And that's exactly how I was as a kid. I got security and I felt safe when I had my blankie. So I'm going to be real with you guys this morning. I had a pretty um, scarring moment in my childhood. We're talking like three, four, five years old. So I was at my aunt and uncle's house. 
Um, my parents and my aunt and uncle were playing cards in the kitchen, and my cousins and I were in the living room playing with the toys. And you know when you have the TV on and it's just background, nobody's really watching it? Well, that's what was happening in this situation, okay? And the grown-ups didn't know this, but there was a scary movie on TV. And I wouldn't recommend watching this, especially with children, but it was called Gremlins, you guys know what I'm talking about, the gremlins. It's just this movie about these little freaky, slimy creatures that go around terrorizing people. It's a terrible movie, okay? And I'm this little four-year-old kid playing with toys, and I, I, I just glancing at the TV, and it's like one of those things you don't want to look at, but you feel like, yeah, you can't help it. And, and there's these terrifying creatures, all right? And for three, four years after that, I was just scarred, okay? As little kids do, we wake up in the middle of the night and we have to use the restroom, right? So my mind, seeing those, those little creatures being afraid, I could like guarantee you the gremlins were in the hallway waiting for me every night to step out of my comfort zone of my bedroom. I was convinced they were waiting for me. So I would wait until the last minute to go to the bathroom. But the way that I would get to the bathroom, I would get my blankie, my security blanket, the thing that, that could save me from anything. And this is before Harry Potter. And I would, I would put that blanket over my head. Nothing was exposed. My ankles weren't exposed. It was dragging on the ground. And I would confidently walk across the hallway to the bathroom. And in a weird way, I would trust my blankie to deliver me to the toilet, to the porcelain, right? <laughs> it was just this, cra this crazy thing. But that's how my mind thought. I took security. I found safety in my blanket. Some of you are like, how are you going to tie this to your message? Well, <clears throat> we see in Psalms, in verse 3 and 4, that sandwiched between this trust that David is talking about, he says, in God whose word I praise. Whose word I praise. And later on, he actually repeats the same mentality in verse 10. He says, in God whose word I prayed, praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. You see, David's trust in God was directly connected to his, his trust in God's word, to God's word playing a role in his life. And we know that, um, I can't recall the passage, but in Psalms, David actually says that he delighted in the law of the Lord. He delighted, and it's crazy, he delighted in rules. He delighted in the Mosaic law. Why? Because he got a glimpse into who God was, into God's character. He took comfort in that. He learned from that. Take trust, root it in God's word. It wasn't a blind hope or wish kind of cast up into heaven like a coin in a well. It, it was substantial. It was something that defined him, and it's something that needs to define us. So let me ask you, why do you trust God? Or do you even trust God? Is it a last resort? Is it when you've expunged all your other options and it's like, oh, I guess I got to trust God? Is it like a superstitious thing? I'm going to pray and trust and, you know, you know, put crosses on my door and God's going to take care of me? Or is it like a relational thing that we see with David? 
I would venture to say that our lack of faith and trust in God is directly tied to our lack of God's word in our lives. Think about it. How can we know about God if we don't read his book? How can we trust in somebody or even know about somebody if we don't take in everything that they have to tell us? We need to root our trust in God in his word. And that's what gave David strength in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. So first, faith amidst fear. My second point is believe God is for you. David's trust was driven by his belief, as we said, his belief in God's word. Let's continue in verse five. We see David reflecting on his bleak situation again. Remember, he's in prison. He is being pursued by his, his people and his enemy. He is all alone. He just has God. He says, all day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. So here we have David. He's kind of reflecting on his situation again. But... David believes God is capable to deliver him. He says, for their crimes, will they escape? In verse 7, David appeals to God's justice and asks God and pleads with God, cast them down. This would be an an example of an imprecatory psalms where where David is crying out to God to destroy his enemies, to do something to help him, because he can't do it by himself. And this is coming from a great, a very accomplished warrior He's asking God to save him, to help him. There are going to be battles in our life. You've experienced this, and you will continue to experience this. There are battles in our life that we just, we throw our hands up. We have no idea what the solution is, what the next step is. We have no ideas to even move forward, and we just have to put our trust in God. Let's look at verse 8. David continues, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. So here we see that not only is God capable of delivering us. I mean, that's pretty easy to understand. He's God. He is able to do anything. I mean, you look at any religion and people believe their God has power to do things. All right? But what the really awesome part is and what David reveals to us through this is that God, and this is what David wholeheartedly believes, God cares. Not only does he have the power to deliver David, but God cares. It, what does he say? He says, you have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God knows everything we're going through. He, he, he can deliver us. But the the most comforting thing through it all is that he cares. He cares about you. He cares about me. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to process with him as we go through things because he cares. Ignore the lies that the world's trying to, to tell you that you're not important, that you need this in order to be happy. God is for us, so we need to trust in him. God cares. And then we see in verse 10, um, David repeats what he says in in verse 4, where his trust is connected to his belief in God's word. Then he says, 
excuse me, then he says um, this phrase, what can man do to me? He repeats it, what can flesh do to me? I'm pretty sure man can do a lot to us, right? We've seen throughout history, people martyred for their faith. So, so what is David talking about here? Does, is David saying if we follow God, it's almost like we're putting on our, our red and blue spandex, we're putting on our cape, we can shoot lasers from our eyes and catch bullets with our hands? Is that what he's saying? No, what David is saying here is mankind can do no lasting or eternal harm to us if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are a child of God. Sure, we're going to go through hard times. God, if, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, life is still going to be complicated. Life is still going to be hard. But look at David. Look at David as he goes through this insane circumstance. He still has the faith. He still has trust, and that's what's driving him. That's what's giving him energy. This confidence allows David to face the craziest situation with the God-given peace. When you experience God's grace and love and you make that your identity, when you make that your hiding place, you will find rest in even the most hectic of circumstances. I'm sure we've all been through things where we try to do it in our own strength, and it's frustrating, right? It's really, really frustrating, especially when we don't get the, the, the product or the experience that we want. But God promises to care. He promises to be there for us. We need to trust in him and get our energy from his word. So my third point, as a result of David's belief in God's promise, he was able to exemplify great faith and trust amidst fear, and that drove him to give God glory. Give God glory. And I want us to keep in mind and remember, David is still in prison. He's still captured by the enemy being pursued by Saul. And yet, we're going to look at verse 12. He is thanking God and like, I got I to gotta, I gotta thank my God. Like, it's just crazy. Let's go ahead and read verse 12. And this is David anticipating deliverance. He says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thanks offering to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. David is anticipating deliverance. Why? Because he believes in God's promise. He believes, David is anointed to be king. God, God has revealed that he is going to be king after all. And, and David is clinging to his promises. How can David become king if he is killed by the Philistines, right? We need to trust in God's promises. We find them all throughout his word. We're going to go through hard times. We're not going to get the results we want, but we can cling to the promises like that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that we are in his hand and nobody can pluck us out, that nothing, nobody can separate us from his love. These are the type of promises we can cling to that can give us strength as we go through hard times, as we go through times where we just want to throw up our hands and we have no idea what to do. Cling to his promises. Give him glory through it all. And this is typically how I, to my shame, deal with giving God glory. When I'm going through something, if, if I get the result I want, 
and if things go as I planned it, then I typically give God glory. Right? You guys find yourself in the same place. How many of us, when we're going through hard times, we're praising God? We're thanking him for who he is. We're thanking him for, you know, the weather or whatever. We're just praising God for, for everything he's done. It's hard to praise amidst the storm, but we need, to start, we need to start practicing that. Why? Because we've been given so much. We have security. We have hope. This is what makes us different than the world, right? If you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have eternal hope. It doesn't matter what comes into your life. You will always have hope. That gives us a basis for thanking and glorifying God. Give God glory amidst the hard times. And what does he say? For you have delivered my soul from death. Hasn't he done that for us today? If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, hasn't he delivered your soul from death? So what can man do to me? What can flesh do to me? Nothing. No lasting things can this world do to you because you are a child of God. Give God glory. In conclusion, I have four takeaways that I'm going to um, click through pretty quickly. But my first one is revere God's word. If you get anything from this, David is in a terrible situation. He gets his energy, his strength from God's word where he finds God and his truth. Revere God's word. We need to get back to our roots, guys. If you call yourself a Christian and yet you never read his word, you're formulating in your head who you think God is, and that might not line up with what Scripture says. Go back to your roots. Revere God's word. And secondly, find your confidence in God. Find your confidence in God. What does David say? Um, I just lost it. In verse 9, he says, This I know, God is for us. It's something he knew. It was a foundational truth in David's life. God is for us. That's where we need to get our confidence. As mentioned before, I'm part of Off the Wall Discipleship Program. We had a student, um, she was in the program for a couple of years out in Ohio, and um, she recently posted something on Facebook. And I got her permission um, to read it. I thought it, it went really well with, with uh, what I was uh, talking about today. Um, but this is her just being very transparent, very real. And she says this. Last night, God changed me. The past couple months have been my darkest. My mental illnesses were writhing out of control. And I realized that I've been suppressing a lot of unbelief towards God and the things that God said. At a time of deliverance at my church, friends prayed over me, and I prayed for myself. I prayed for belief. I prayed for healing, and God gave me faith, faith that I desperately needed and felt like I couldn't attain. And I also felt a weight of darkness lifted off me. My depression isn't gone, but it's much less severe than it was. I generally feel fear in sharing and not wanting to come across as overly religious, but I need to share that he does hear your prayers, and he is the ultimate healer. That needs to be our prayer today. We need to pray for belief. We need to pray for healing. 
Well, we do that. When we go to God's word, God will give us faith. We will have faith in something substantial, something that can get us through the craziest of circumstances. Never forget God is for you. Don't believe the lies of this world. Don't believe the lies of Satan. God is for us. Thirdly, walk in the light. Let's read the uh, end of, of, of verse 13 in chapter 56. David says, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Who do we know came from the line of David? I think I heard Christ, Jesus. You are correct. Jesus came from the line of David. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a, just a beautiful tie-in. David says, walk in the light of life. Well, this is what Jesus said in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. On this side of the cross, the only way to walk in the light is with Jesus. That is the only way to walk in the light. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we take what David says in Psalms 56, walk before God in the light of life, we have to be doing that with Jesus. You can't do it in your own strength. Our our good works are like filthy rags. Look what I did, God. And we just, it dissipates, and all we're left is with filthy rags. You can't do anything that pleases God apart from Jesus, right? Sure, we can can do nice things, but at the end of the day, that doesn't get us to heaven. That doesn't get us anything. We need Jesus, right? Right? If, if we read the New Testament, if we read Jesus as he's speaking, he is the door, he is the way, he is the truth and the life. We need to follow him. If we're to find this peace that David is talking about in Psalms 56, even amidst the craziest circumstances that are hurled our way, we have to have Jesus. And as Christians, we forget that, you know, God's word, having a relationship talking to God, talking to Jesus. Doing these things is what's going to give us the strength to get through these times. So walk in the light. And lastly, and this is kind of really appropriate, we had some thunder, we have some rain, learn how to sing in the rain. And I heard this quote, um, I don't know who to, who to attribute to, um, but when you, when you are down to nothing, know that God is up to something. When you are down to nothing, know that God is up to something. Reflect on Psalms 56 so that you can have the same peace that David sees, that David has. Faith amidst fear, believe God is for you, and give God glory no matter what, what the outcome is. Because what can man do to us? What can this world do to us? Nothing. Nothing eternally, Right? we have God, we have Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the truths in your word. I thank you for uh, this time we can get together and just dive into Psalms 56. I thank you for the context that we have 
in, in 1 Samuel. I thank you for just this glimpse into this, this godly man's life as he kind of processes with you his thoughts and his feelings going through this, this excruciating time in his life. I pray that there's, there's things that we can kind of just take away from this that we can apply to our life. I pray that trust and faith will just reign supreme in our relationship with you. I pray that we'll go to your word and that we'll have a thirst and desire to drink from your word, to get energy for our day so that we can, when put in these circumstances, get through it on top. We love you, and I pray that you'll bless this day in your name. Amen.